When your ideal customer's kids are begging every night to read your book, you've won. At Dinosaur House, we turn industry leaders into kids' book authors. We don't do it because it's a super fun thing to do, although it is. We do it because it's highly strategic. Imagine if every night your customers are being asked by their kids to read a book that your company made. Talk about brand affinity. You're helping your customers connect deeply with the most important thing in their lives, their kids, over something that they are passionate about that has to do with your industry. If you want to have a conversation with us about how your brand could become the author of a kid's book, just hit us up, dinosaurhouse.com. Hit the little button that says schedule a story design call. And we'll have a jam session together on just what your company's kids book could and should be. Hi, everyone. I'm Jess. I'm co-founder and CEO of Ignite Reading. We're a company that focuses on solving the early literacy crisis in our country and ensuring that every child has the right to learn to read on time, which we define as before the end of first grade. I'm also the author of the children's book, Cancer Hates Kisses, and mom of the most amazing eight-year-old daughter in the world. And you are listening to The Purpose Driven Entrepreneur with my friend, Timmy Bauer. What's up, purpose-driven entrepreneurs? It's me, your host, Timmy Bauer, and my guest today is Jessica Slawerski. I am so excited to be talking to you, Jessica. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Thank you so much, Timmy. I'm super excited to be here and get to hang out and talk about all things being an entrepreneur. Amen. So your company, Ignite Reading, so just to give our listeners context, if you could explain what exactly your business in is, as in what is it exactly that you sell to who and what's been like, how did you start the company? Yeah, great question. So we are an early literacy company. We fit into the bucket of ed tech, but what we sell feels very non-techy. Because yeah. essentially the business that we've created is one that is deeply human. We are focused upon building a national core of highly trained reading tutors who are largely non-educators, but who go through extensive professional learning, coaching, practicum experience, becoming masterful at teaching kids to read. And then they meet daily one-on-one -on -one, with students via a video conferencing platform and in 15 minute increments teach them to read and um so this is the program that we're selling we partner with schools and districts we embed as part of their literacy ecosystem and we are all about ensuring that every child has equitable access to learning to crack the code so that they read with automaticity and fluency that's awesome so um, who exactly is like, what's your customer base like? Like who, who's a typical customer for you? A typical customer would be a school district where they have a significant, of a significant percentage of kids who are reading um, below grade level and who are not currently getting the instruction that they need 
to be able to crack the code. The English language is a code. Kids need systematic, explicit, coherent, direct instruction in order to learn to crack it. And for a variety of reasons, that is not universally happening across every school in our country. And so we are coming in as essentially a foundational skills safety net while teachers are getting the additional development and support they need to be able to teach this way. That's awesome. What is the, um, like, tell me about, oh, and we, we talked about this a little bit in our first podcast interview that we did together. So listeners, if you want to check that out, we dug into her philosophy of literacy and reading and what exactly is her mentality when it comes to uh, how a child should learn to read on our other podcast, my other podcast, The Literacy Advocate. Um, but just for the, these listeners, if you could talk about um, how it is that you started the company, like what's the origin story? So the origin story goes all the way back to almost 20 years ago when I was a first year teacher in the Bronx. I was teaching fifth grade. I came into education through a non-traditional pathway. So I did not go to um, college nor graduate school to learn to be a teacher before stepping into the classroom. I had a six week crash course and then was dropped into a classroom where I had several kids in fifth grade who still had not learned how to read and another uh, large percentage of my classroom who could read but was well below grade level in reading. Yeah, And I had no idea how to teach them, was totally and completely ill-equipped to be able to serve them. And this was before uh, we were. I would be the same the way, science. by the way. And we talked about that on the first podcast. But yeah. when I studied to be an educator, they do not equip you for this. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. And it's still a problem. And that's part of what I'm trying to solve also. And I'll tell you more about that. But at the time, I just remember feeling like this is so messed up. It is so messed up that. I've just had six weeks of training. And if there was one thing I could have learned that would have made me effective, it's teaching kids to read. And yet I was clueless. And I spent my first two years as a fifth grade teacher having this precious opportunity where I could have closed gaps. I could have made sure that my kids left me ready to start sixth grade and knowing how to read and I squandered that time because I, I didn't have resources. I didn't have curriculum. I didn't have coaching. Um, I didn't have the internet in the way that we have it now where I could have Googled and found some things. Um, I was reaching out to everyone that I could and asking them for help and, and they couldn't help me either. And I just, the entire time kept thinking, this is not okay, it's not okay. Um, in what world do we think that it makes sense to put a teacher in a classroom and, and she can't even teach her kids to read? And that yeah. ignited something in me. And I just made this commitment to myself. I set this intentionality around ensuring that no teacher ever feel the way that I felt, wanting to serve my kids and not being able to. And so over the next several years, I just kept saying yes to opportunities that would enable me to learn more about 
how to teach kids to read and how to serve more kids. And so my third year of teaching, I went to a different school. I taught first grade. I was empowered with an evidence-based curriculum. I began teaching my kids to read and I was like, oh my gosh, yes, this is a science and it is not rocket science. And then I became an assistant principal. And then I became um, an instructional coach for K-12. I became a principal coach across New York City. I became a literacy specialist for a network of schools in New York City. I co-founded my first education technology company with a literacy app that I was the instructional Mm -hmm. designer of. And that app, you know, in my kind of journey was more focused on reading to learn versus learning to read. But in my time, you know, building that company, what I was increasingly convinced of was that we have this bigger crisis around kids learning to read. And so I was continuing to noodle on that problem. Um, In the meantime, I became a mom. Right after my daughter was born, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which came out of nowhere. I didn't have the gene. I don't have a family history of it. And um, at first, I just kept thinking, why did this happen to me? Um, What did I do to cause this? And then uh, when I came out of surgery, um, I had a double mastectomy. And I was gearing up for chemo. And my thinking shifted and became why not me? And what can I do with this experience? And a few things occurred. Um, One was that I decided that I was going to write a children's book to help families who were going through cancer treatment. It's called Cancer Hates Kisses. And I wanted to flip the script on cancer. And I wanted to create a narrative where um, a mother could help her kids understand what's going on with her, but in a way that is deeply empowering and give young children not only transparency around the fact that mom is going through this hard thing, but also an economy of their own to be able to help mom heal and feel that love, which I I felt in my own experience as a brand new mom with an infant, that that love was the most healing energy and medicine for my own experience with cancer and all of the trauma that comes with that. But then when you go through an experience like cancer or any crucible, really, there is this opportunity for what's called post-traumatic growth. And it puts everything into this, you know, focus And I just became that much more maniacal about my passion of serving children Mm. because I realized that life is precious. I don't know how much time I have on this planet and I don't know if and when my cancer may come back and, and what that could mean for me. And I'm not independently wealthy. I need to work. And so I am going to spend every single moment of every day being maximally purposeful. And for me, that came down to this world that I want to create where every child has the right to learn to read on time, because I believe it is a fundamental human right 
and civil right, and that I have the ability to help create this world by you know, building programs that serve kids effectively and teach them to read. And then, you know, also wrapped up in this is the desire to model for my daughter that I dedicated my life to serving others and to solving this specific illiteracy crisis in our country. And that is a really important legacy that that I want to leave for her. So all of that is my why. And I feel really grateful to be cancer free right now to be alive and also what a gift to wake up every day and get to do work that i love so much and that is so tangibly changing children's lives yeah i mean most people say when they're an educator they uh that they are living a life you know that's full of purpose i definitely see that in a lot of teachers for you, though, it's like you pursued so many different avenues of what it looks like to be um, a literacy advocate, a literacy educator, um, and then you go through cancer, and then you have post-traumatic growth. What, what, like, what crystallized for you that you uh, realized? It's just, it's an interesting and unique thing to go. This is what my purpose on this earth was. How did you arrive at that, or like, how did that happen for you? Like, like, when did you have post-traumatic growth? And mm -hmm. what were some of the big things that, that came out of it, like mentally for you? Yeah. Wow. Such a great question. There I've never heard the were... term post-traumatic growth uh, either, by the way, but I think I can relate to a little bit. I went through a divorce that was very painful, nowhere near yes. as painful as your life being on the line. Um, but some of the things that I realized, I'm a completely different person. I'm in a lot of yes. ways the same person, but in a lot of ways, completely different person coming out of it. And it really yeah. clarified and crystallized for me what kind of life I actually want to be living. Yes, yes. And so that's the thing is that, you know, we go through crucibles in our life unless we live a charmed life, which very few of us do. And when we go through these crucibles, and we're in the valley, it can be really hard to even begin to imagine what type of beautiful experiences might come as a result of going through that crucible. And in my case, I didn't know whether or not I would be okay. Um, I just kind of kept going and surviving. Um, there was the trauma of the cancer and then and there was also, uh, my marriage began to fall apart. Um, and I don't know, like there was just this like inner strength and just this like trust and resilience that I would be okay. And, and then sure enough, you know, as time went on, I began to be able to see how this, this trauma and everything I learned in that experience and a lot of therapy um, made space for these really beautiful things to happen that I never would have anticipated, right? Um, I didn't go into cancer thinking, because of this experience, I'm gonna learn how strong I am and that strength is going to propel me to 
you know, someday become a CEO and be able to do really hard things at work that are going to turn me into a more powerful, um, you know, authentic leader that helps me then impact more kids. It's like, you just, you don't know. And so really, I think it's just like an openness in the moment and a curiosity and a willingness to just kind of trust that the universe has a plan, right? And, um, and so that was, that's kind of the best way I can think to describe it. But it was really interesting, because, you know, I, I ended up leaving the company that I co-founded prior to becoming a mom and prior to getting cancer. And I I needed to take a year where I took a lower level title. I took a pay cut. I went and worked for a different um, ed tech startup. And I I really needed to heal from chemo. I needed to do a, a lot more therapy and just like get myself together. Right. Um, and, and then from there, once I was getting my mojo back and I was ready to do more impactful work, I found my way to this nonprofit, open up resources and uh, began working with them. And they, they were just launching, they were beginning to partner with um, curriculum authors and publish curriculum. And I was kind of charged with figuring out how to take our first literacy curricula to market and scale it in K-12 education. And I did such a good job at that, that the founding CEO of that nonprofit was like, you're my successor. And shortly thereafter, he left and I stepped in as CEO and um, I couldn't believe it. I mean, this was like two and a half years post chemo that I became a CEO. Wow. And uh, yeah, right. And then scaled that company. But as I was doing it, what I kept coming back to was like, I can do this. I'm good at doing this. And I want to be even more impactful. And I want to be fully focused on teaching kids to read. This is just the thing. It is the thing that makes me the most happy. It is the thing that I feel is the most important. It is the thing that I want to spend all day, every day obsessing about. And I want to know with certainty that what I am doing is having a direct ROI when it comes to kids learning to read. And I felt too removed just publishing curriculum. I wanted to do direct services. Did you have self-doubt as a factor? Because you talked about the feeling of like, I can do this. Did you have a lot of self-doubt as a factor coming out of like your decision to take a pay cut, reduce your workload, all of that? Um, Or was that never a factor for you? Yeah. So when I left the company that I originally co-founded and I just kind of like took this year, there was no Mm. self-doubt because it was just like me honoring what I knew my body and my heart and my mind needed. Um, It also gave me the ability to, you know, heal and have more time with my daughter while also still working. Um, Where the self doubt came in, and this is a great question because it connects to post-traumatic growth. So then I'm, I'm running this uh, nonprofit publishing company. And um, about two years ago, then while being CEO of that 
company began incubating Ignite Reading and building Ignite Reading. And uh, it was because we had this literacy curricula in our portfolio that I was just obsessed with. It's um, a curriculum called Bookworms and the foundational skills component of it called differentiated instruction is what I use to teach my own daughter to read. And then I'm watching what's happening with the pandemic. And I'm like, there is an opportunity here. What would it mean to teach kids to read virtually? And could I build this national core of highly trained reading teachers who are tutors, who meet with kids, who do this? And and I all these ideas were flowing. And, um, and as this was building within Open Up Resources, it began to take on a life of its own to the point where I could not continue to be an entrepreneur of this new thing and run open up resources. And I had to choose. And I knew that in choosing, I was taking a leap of faith, right? I was going to walk away from what was now a cush job running a financially stable, well-established um, nonprofit to being in a startup, taking a pay cut to go build this new company. And now also fast forward, I was divorced. I was a single mom. Um, I am financially independent of my ex-husband. And that's terrifying. It's terrifying to feel like you are stepping off a cliff and you don't have a safety net. And what I came back to was, well, it's not cancer. <laughs> you know, I was like, going to ask you. Yeah. I, I hit rock bottom when I went through cancer treatment. Yeah. Um, and, and to lose, you know, I lost a lot in that experience, but what I gained emotionally was a belief in myself and what I am capable of that I never would have known I have. And so when it comes to something scary, like getting a divorce or launching a new company when I'm a single mom, what I always come back to is I survived cancer. I can do anything. I will be okay. And the worst Thing that could happen here is that I will fail, but that's okay because I believe in myself and I know that even if that happens, I will be okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you think there's a relationship between going through something really traumatic and success as an entrepreneur, but you were talking about how you'd experienced all of this success prior to cancer. So I was like, maybe this doesn't apply, but the idea that I was thinking about it's like similarly when I went through the divorce, I was like divorce in my mind was something that I'd never even thought. I, I the thought that I would go through a divorce was so far removed from my brain. It was like, that's something that other people go through. People that don't have stable marriages go through that. Like literally like never even thought that that would happen. So when it was happening, I was like, it was like a death of my identity and literally yeah. also just losing everything around me, like losing my house and, you yeah. know, finances up in flames and just everything gone, you know, can't pay my yeah. bills, like lost my job because I couldn't yeah. stop crying, like literally just everything yeah. gone. And so 
yeah. coming out of that, what one of the things that happened in my post-traumatic growth was it just dramatically, um, uh, I don't know if it's, it's right to say raised or lowered the threshold of what is an emergency. Like now it's like, um, I can take all these big risks and I'm like, well, it's not divorce, <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah. it's, it's, uh, who cares if I don't know where the money's going to come from to make payroll next month. That's not the same thing as divorce. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I survived that. I'll be okay. Well, and, and you know, the other thing that you made me think about is I don't, I don't know if this is something that other entrepreneurs experience though. It wouldn't surprise me if this is a theme with entrepreneurs, but like, I definitely have a perpetual fear of failure. Mm. And I worry constantly about failing. I mean, I was the kid who in school, I would have so much anxiety about a test and I would study so hard for a test and I would take the test and then I would finish the test. And then I, I would walk out of the classroom and just like completely fall apart, convinced that I failed only to then see that I'd gotten a hundred percent. And, um, mm. I still very much like operate in that way. Like I am, I am perpetually convinced I'm going to fail, even though all the data points show that I won't. And so there's something about like, even going through a divorce and like feeling like, I failed at marriage. I failed at this vision of what I thought my life would be. And I'm okay because now I'm seeing that there's this whole new chapter ahead of me that's even more beautiful than I ever could have imagined. And so I think also that resilience comes into the fearlessness that is required to be an entrepreneur yeah. and to put yourself in this very vulnerable space where, yeah, you may fail. And you're going to learn a bunch of things and you have no idea how these things that you're going to learn could lead to something really beautiful in the next yes. part of your life. You've you experienced what it's like to go through a massive <laughs> loss and find out, and in your case, like literally this could have gone the other way in my case, not, but, and find out that you're, uh, your life is on the other end of it. Like a whole, a whole new life is on the other end of it. So similarly, when I think about like, you know, okay, dinosaur house could die. Like it could, it could end up failing as a company. It's like, and I will have a, a more interesting life on the other end of that. At least I believe that's that that's right. the case. Now I still have like in the back of my mind, fear of like catastrophic um, failure. So um, Alex Hermosi has this quote. He says, don't build, don't stop trying to build confidence and start trying to build evidence. So in other words, like mm -hmm. uh, confidence is the result of evidence. So I think similarly, like fear of failure starts to d diminish the more evidence uh, you build uh, it, of the more, the more successes you create. And I think similarly mm -hmm. failures shrink in size over, over a, over a long time horizon of successes. Like, the longer you the longer you remain an entrepreneur the bigger your wins yeah. become and yes. the bigger your wins become the smaller your failures are so like you know i might post i might publish a book like so so i publish books right so i might publish a book yeah. that does really poorly and that's going to feel like this massive failure so it's it, it, yeah. it'll, when, when it happens <laughs> sure when it happens it will hit me so hard that i will i yeah. will feel like quitting um, but I know yeah. that if I don't quit, I will 
over the course of my life, I, if I just keep yeah. at it, I will publish yeah. much better work than that failure and the size of the failure will diminish. And I don't know exactly what that looks like in, right. in your space, but that's how I think about it. Um, yeah. But there's always still well, there's this, this fear of catastrophic failure. Of course. Well, and I think especially when we care so much, I mean, it is not hyperbole to say that the work that I'm leading now with Ignite Reading and the work that we're doing, teaching kids to read is literally life-changing work. Yes. Because we know that when kids learn to read on time, it fundamentally changes everything else about their school opportunities and their life yes. opportunities. And you, we know what could, happens when they don't learn to read. You could fail as a company and you will still have changed thousands of people's life, like like yes. radically altered their life. It, it like yes. not, and I don't want you to fail as a company, but I'm saying like, that's the kind of, that's the kind of big risk that you're taking, which is like, I, I could, you know, I could make a, I could, I could make the wrong move as a company and it could lead to catastrophic failure. It won't change the fact that all these lives have been completely changed for the better. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so like already we, we have been in the market a year and a half. We started in fall of 2021. We were serving 70 kids at one school. And as of today, we're in nine states. We're serving over 3,000 kids. And it's only been a year and a half. And in the meantime, we have taught, you know, 300 plus adults who didn't previously know how to teach reading to be reading teachers. And so if I were to fail tomorrow, Technically, it wouldn't be a failure because we have touched 3,000 precious lives and helped those kids learn to read. And we've created more adults in this country who know how to teach reading, which all of that has a ripple effect. In my case, though, like, so on the one hand, it's not a failure, but in my mind, it would be because my goal is to ultimately be teaching every single day millions of kids to read and hundreds of thousands of adults to be reading teachers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, we're, we're getting to the end here, but I there's a question that I ask everybody on this podcast that I've kind of, we've kind of just been circling around and I want to just ask it to you straight. Um, I, I like to, I, I started this show because I wanted an excuse to ask purpose-driven entrepreneurs what they're really living their life for, the kind of legacy that they want to leave. So when you think about a big question like, what do you want to be remembered for when you die? Or what do you feel like you're really living your life for? What jumps out to you as most important? Yeah, two things. I mean, first and foremost, raising a tiny human who is empathetic, caring, compassionate, and who I hope will also dedicate her life to saving, not saving, serving others. And um, for me, I really hold sacred this idea of teaching as many children as possible in our country to read. And I hope with all of my heart that with what we're building at Ignite Reading, that there is, you know, a world in which because of the work we're doing, every single first grader in our country learns to read on time and we stamp out this heartbreaking criminal statistic that 
you know, right now, 67% of our fourth graders are not proficient readers. And I hope that by the time I leave this precious life that, you know, 100% of our kids in our country have the right to learn to read on time and that my company and my work somehow catalyzed that. I love it. Jessica, it's been awesome talking to you again. I've loved our conversations. Um, where would you like listeners to go to check out what you're doing more and uh, where are you most active on social? Thank you so much, Timmy. Um, our website, ignite-reading.com is one place to learn about what we're up to, apply to become a tutor in our program. You can also find me on Twitter at Miss Reed, R-E-I-D, Reads get it and um there's a film actually that is coming out it's called the right to read film and fun fact it actually tells the story that is the prequel to ignite reading because my mentee a teacher here in east oakland is one of the main characters in this documentary as she works to teach her kids to read and i'm the one who taught her so that she could teach her kids amazing when is that coming out so they are doing private screenings nationally. Um, so you can Google the right to read film. You can sign up to bring a private screening to your school district. And um, right now they're still looking for national distribution. Awesome. Cool. Jessica, it's been so great talking to you. Thank you so much for being on. Uh